0: This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 163. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now, so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he works out to music from the glitch mob, Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today in session 163 of the SPA podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode because we're bringing a guest on the show who's been on before way back at episode 93. That was actually back in 2013. And this is somebody who I look up to very much who has inspired me in so many ways. And this is none other than Michael Hyatt from michaelhyatt.com. And today we're gonna be talking about the secrets of team building and how to be a great leader to that team so that you can together produce more and serve your audience better. And as a result, hopefully make a lot more money. And that's something that I've been experiencing a lot over the past year. I've been focusing a lot on finding the right people, building the right team to be able to provide more to you guys. And as a result, a lot of amazing things have happened in my business. And it I think it was Chris Ducker, our good friend Chris Ducker from chrisducker.com at a one day business breakthrough event, which he and I host together. He was talking about the definition of an entrepreneur. And I like this definition because he says that you're not really an entrepreneur until you hire a team. You're just a solopreneur if you're just by yourself. And when you're a solopreneur, you're getting to the point, especially if you've been doing it for a while, where you're either going to burn out or you're going to stay at a constant, and it is only when you hire a team that you can then take a lot of those things that you're doing as a solopreneur, hand those things off to somebody else who can potentially do them much better and faster, but that clears your mind and it clears your schedule to be able to do those things that you should be doing as the business owner. And until you hire that team, you are not an entrepreneur, but just a solopreneur. And I like that. And I've experienced that over the past year, hiring a team and just the amazing things that have happened as a result of that. And for those of you who have been following me for a while, you might have noticed how many more things I've been able to get done. And it's not because I've been cloning myself, well, sort of, but really it's a result of finding other people to help me who share the same values as me, who understand what my goals are and who can help me create and provide for you. So today we're going to be talking with Michael Hyatt, who is the inspiration to me. And I'll talk all about that in our interview. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Michael Hyatt from michaelhyatt.com. Here he is. All right, everybody. I'm so happy to welcome back Michael Hyatt to the Smart Passive Income podcast. Michael, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Pat. Great to be with you again.
0: I'm so happy you're here with us because you always bring such amazing content to with whatever you're doing, whether it's Platform University or, you know, Platform Conference, which I've attended a couple of times. It is definitely one of my favorite conferences to attend, and I highly recommend it for everybody out there. Some stuff has changed for you recently. I know you have a new website and you've also done some cool things with your podcast. Can you talk about those things really quick before we get into the meat here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm constantly experimenting and reinventing. You know, when something starts working, I feel the need to break it. (laughs) And so my podcast, the truth is with my podcast, you know, for 100 episodes, I did it all by myself, me just talking into a microphone like I am right now, except nobody else in the room. And it was a monologue. And it got really, really tedious. When I'm left to my own devices, I become a perfectionist. And so I would spend about a day a week editing this one podcast that went out. So I said, something's got to change, right? I can't be productive in creating content. So long story short is I hired a co-host, Michelle Kashat, who is a longtime friend. And we just have amazing rapport. And we decided we're going to batch record these in a recording studio in Nashville. And I said to my team, I said, I don't want to do any preparation. I don't want to have to do any of the post-production. I want to walk into the studio, produce 13 episodes in a day and a half, walk out, and the rest happens as if by magic. And that's exactly what's happened. And so it's just, it's been amazing. It's restored my love for podcasting. And I, I, I love this medium. With regard to the blog site, we did a lot of reader survey type reconnaissance with my audience and we just, we we wanted to ref, uh, freshen up the brand and make it more true to who I am and who I'm becoming. And one of the consistent things that we heard from my readers, and I mean, literally almost every day, people would write in and say, you've become my virtual mentor. So my team said, we think that ought to be kind of the positioning is that you position yourself as a virtual mentor to a lot of, a lot of people who are looking for that online. Well, I resisted it for like six months. (laughs) Felt like it was kind of audacious, a little pompous. Mm -hmm. And finally, they got me comfortable with it. And since we launched the site, which has been a few months ago now, the response has been overwhelming. I mean, people have just said, this is exactly who we see you as. So it's been a real confirmation. So that's it.
0: I love that. The blog redesign and the new tagline and everything with the virtual mentor, I think it fits you perfectly. And it's interesting because even even Michael Hyatt battles with himself sometimes, everybody, because, you know, you had your audience telling you exactly what they thought of you, yet here you are kind of being restraint of kind of that next step. What made you finally decide, yes, virtual mentors is the way to go?
1: Well, I'll tell you, it was actually a late night conversation at my home. Ray Edwards was in town and he was staying with us And I said to Ray, I said, look, you're somebody I really trust and somebody who's really mature and about my age. And I said, let me just show you these mock-ups for my site. And I just would love to get your opinion. I'm not going to prejudice you one way or another, but I just would love your input. He looked at it and he, you know, he's very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. He kind of nodded a little bit. And then he just looked at me and he said, it's perfect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love Ray. Ray and I are in a mastermind group together and he has always the best advice. So if if he just, just says, says nothing, but that's perfect, then you know that what you have is
1: great. <laughs> he was so encouraging and he's just such a great guy. I love his podcast too. And
0: the, and your podcast, I love the new direction. It's sort of batch process, like you said, and put out into seasons, which is kind of cool because then you have the option of either stopping it or keeping going with it if you'd like, which I think is really smart. But did you ever, I mean, you said you fell in love with it again. That means you kind of hated it for a while. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that would be actually an understatement. Mm-hmm. I got to the place where I just dreaded it. When I would finish editing and uploading and doing all this stuff on, on my site, and I was doing it all myself. So when I would upload that podcast episode, I would feel about two minutes of elation, you know, that finally, you know, this is done for the week and I can mm-hmm. do the rest of the stuff for this week. And then I would just have this kind of this cloud, you know, the storm clouds would gather as I would begin to prepare. And, and that's just a signal to me that there's something wrong in the mix. You know, life is too short to do all this stuff you don't love. And I'm, I'm not above paying my dues, but, but come on. You know, it's got to it's be easier than that. So at first what I did was I said, let me just outsource some of the pieces so I'll have somebody handle the post-production. And again, I did everything from show prep to doing the editing, to doing the uploading, to doing the, the WordPress post. So I started just carving that up. And then I just got to the place where I said, I really think I would thrive in an environment where I'm being interviewed. And, and that's what we did.
0: Yeah. And it's great. And and you're amazing on it. And it's also a video show on, I believe you put it on YouTube and as a iTunes podcast. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. This is kind of a fun thing too. So because we were in a recording studio, my daughter, Megan, who works with me in the business said to me, she said, dad, why don't we just bring in the video crew while you're doing the podcast? And then we'll be able to create a video podcast at the same time and get some juice into YouTube. And I said, great. So we've done that every time as well.
0: And what have been the results from putting it into video format as well?
1: Great. You know, I, I can't quote to you the numbers here, but it's probably about our second highest referral site to the blog right behind Facebook.
0: Wow, that's huge. Ahead of Twitter. That's huge. So, okay, with the podcast, you had this sort of hate for the way you were doing it and you changed it and that's great. For the blog, however... Things weren't necessarily broken, but you, st- you decided to go with it anyway. And I think, you know, you said yourself the reason you, why you like doing that is because you love to experiment and stuff. But how do people know, how co- what advice can we give to people out there who are listening who, you know, m- might be satisfied with what they have but do need to keep going and push further?
1: Well, I think it, it may be related to temperament, but I think you always have to be checking. And it's kind of a gut check thing. Is there congruence between what I'm about? and what I'm trying to communicate to my audience and what my uh, audience wants. Hmm. So I'm looking for that kind of alignment between all those things. And when it starts getting out of alignment, as I felt it was, because it was really aligned around the idea of intentional leadership, which is really the, the idea of my company and still a very central framework for how I think about my life and work. But I thought there's got to be something that connects more from the audience's perspective. And plus, I just felt like, you know, the design was a little bit, long in the tooth. (laughs) Mm, And, and I've had a designer I've worked with for a couple of years that does an amazing job. And I just wanted to give him a crack at it so that all of our graphics began to line up and, and feel like they were coming out of the same brand.
0: And the interesting question that came to mind is you have a theme called get noticed, which was a sort of a copy of your other theme. And now that you've moved on to this new theme, were there any implications there or something that you're thinking about in terms of the people who had your previous version, maybe you'd be leaving them behind and thinking something was better? Or is there another theme potentially going to come out?
1: Yeah, the, the cool thing about it was is uh, the Get Notice theme is really a framework more than anything. And so we had built, even my previous theme was a child theme that sat on top of that. And we made that child theme available to everybody. But we created this new child theme and put this on top of the Get Notice theme. So this is still all uh, I see. the Get Notice theme. It's just a different child theme. And the best themes that are designed on top of a get Notice theme are where people have done that, they've created a child theme. And so we probably will not make this one available to the public only because what we started seeing was, and this is, this is a tough one and I may be wrong on this, but, um, I, we started seeing a bunch of themes, a lot of blogs that look like mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I didn't feel that was good for creating a distinctive look for myself. I want to empower people to create their own look, but not just to mimic me, because that's not the path to success. Um, You know, you got to kind of find your own way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I fully agree with that. Now, on this notion of, okay, you're not really sure if you should go to the next step, you know, today we're going to be talking about building a team. And Michael, I don't know if you remember, actually, I did an episode where it was sort of very much in a NPR style with the music and, you know, stories, and I actually played a segment of my talk at Platform Conference 2012 with me playing the trumpet. This is episode 138 of the Smart Passive Income podcast. And thank you guys for that audio uh, to to put in there. But then I followed it up with, you know, that was a life-changing conference for me for several reasons, just because the content was great and it was great to meet everybody there, but also because I saw what your team allowed you to do to put on that show, to be able to do that on top of everything else you were doing. It was really inspiring to me to get me to think about, okay, how can I build a team now too to help me, you know, just better serve my audience like you were doing to us. I mean, thank you for that. And and thank you for your team. Your team is amazing. Every time I've worked with them, they've been great. And they've been a very much an inspiration for me on how I've built my team. But it took me a long time to figure out that a team was exactly what I needed at the time in my business. Not everybody needs a team when they're starting out, but eventually right. everybody I feel like gets to a point where they need a team or else they're just going to stay the same. How would you comment on the fact that, you know, a lot of people probably need a team, but, you know, aren't really quite up to the task of of putting one together?
1: Yeah, well, this is the challenge. When I left Thomas Nelson as the CEO, large publishing company had 650 people in my company, I had 10 direct reports, amazing executive team. And I left that to pursue my dream of writing and speaking full time. And so initially I thought, you know, I just want something super minimalist, you know, me and an executive assistant, virtual executive assistant, and that's enough. But what I realized is that I couldn't really create the impact in the world I wanted to have if it was just me. Because the truth is, I don't do everything well. In fact, to even say it even more strongly, I only do a few things well. There's a lot of things that I can do, but I'm out of my strength zone when I'm doing those things. And they either deplete me or I'm not as competent as someone if I would hire them. And so it's, it's tough because I was also committed in this business to bootstrapping this business. I didn't, I didn't want outside investor money. I didn't want to borrow money. I wanted to pay for it as I generated the money. So the challenge in building a team is the investment always comes before you reap the harvest. And it always feels like you're a little bit out of your comfort zone. It always feels like that for me when I hire somebody. Like we just hired a, a chief marketing officer. And not cheap, frankly. And with somebody that was a VP of marketing at Thomas Nelson that uh, we just brought into the company. And so that was a stretch. You know, I'm going like, wow. Okay, so what's the payback going to be on this? And, you know, there's some risk involved because you're making some revenue assumptions and all the rest and you're mm-hmm. hopeful that happens. But that's how it always feels. Every time I do it, my income goes up, my capability expands, and my impact on the world increases. So. That's the perspective you've got to have. You've got to be willing as an entrepreneur, I think, Mm -hmm. to be able to get out of your comfort zone, to be willing to stretch for the sake of the people that you're trying to have an impact on.
0: Now, I know what a lot of people in the audience are thinking right now. They're thinking, well, you're Michael Hyatt. I mean, of course, whatever you do, I mean, you're in your experience. you found people that you've already worked with before to come and help you and build your team. What about me? What about, you know, I'm just starting out. I don't have much money. I do want to hire somebody because I know I need to make a bigger impact in the world. I know I can with some help but I don't know if it's going to work or not.
1: Okay. This is really cool, Pat. So what you have to do, and I've used this formula time and time again, we love you formulas. can't think about the resources first. Okay. So most people think I don't have the money. I don't have the experience. So they get focused on the resource conversation first, mm-hmm. wrong conversation, wrong thought process. The first thing you got to think about is what do I want? When you get crystal clear on that, And you really get connected with the why, then the resources have a way of showing up. And so here's what I do. So I think, okay, if I could offload some of the stuff that I'm doing now, what's the stuff I either hate or I'm not particularly good at? Those are the two kind of categories. And just begin to jot those down. What are the things I would get rid of first? So when I left Thomas Nelson and got on my own, I knew I was going to need an assistant, but I said, for what? Okay, I need somebody to manage my calendar. Book my travel, manage email for me, that type of thing, so I, I made a very clear list that morphed into a job description, and again at this at this point, I mean I was hardly generating any income i didn't have a, any money out of the business to be able to fund that, but I wanted to get really crystal clear and my deal with myself was I wasn't going to fund this out of money I had in investments or sitting in the bank. this was all going to have to come out of the business. I wanted to be able to prove something, be able to build something that was self funding. Mm-hmm. So I just started, I got crystal clear on what I needed. And I started with an assistant five hours a week. And I said, what would happen if I could liberate five hours a week to do more of the stuff that generates revenue that really moves the needle in terms of the results I'm trying to create? So literally within a month, that went up to 10 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And because I was doing so much more and my income was rising the whole time because now Rather than futzing around, that's a technical term, like rather, than, rather, than, <laughs> rather than futzing around with, you know, all this kind of administrative stuff, I was freed up to do what only I could do, create product, connect with customers and clients and all the rest. And my income went up and i just followed that same pattern over and over again. So even before I was confident that I could hire a, a chief marketing officer, I said, what would that make possible in my business if I could?
0: I love that. And I love that you said you started out small. I think that's really important. That's something I mention all the time because we think, okay, we need to hire somebody that's 40 hours a week. What am I going to make them do? But you know, you just uh, even an hour saved a week. I mean, imagine that extra hour over 52 weeks. It's an extra 52 hours. I mean, that's so much time for you to do something else that only you can do. And I'll, I'll tell you, Michael, when I finally realized the power of hiring somebody to edit my podcast, which I first experienced through hiring Mindy to edit Ask Pat, then I was like, wow, this is great. Let me hire somebody to edit Smart Passive Income. It's opened up at least five hours a week for me. Wow. And what I've been able to do since then, I think a lot of people have been noticing just how productive I've been. I mean, that is a result of, a, of two things. One, the miracle morning and being very productive in the morning and, and getting into in tune with uh, my creativity and when I'm creative and just focusing on that part of productivity, but also... It's these five hours that I'm opening up for myself every week now through, the, through having somebody else do the podcast. And the thing was, it was so hard for me because, I mean, I've, I did it for years myself, like you did, and I was good at it. And I felt like also that I had to do it in my own special way that I didn't think anybody else could do.
1: Well, here's the crazy thing about it. Talk about a false economy. This happened just re- recently in my mastermind group. One of the guys was struggling with hiring a developer, and he was kind of a coder, so he's really in the business to market information, but he can do some coding, like I can, like you can. So, one of the guys in the mastermind said, how, do you, how much do you think you make an hour? And so, the guy did the computation, and he said, well, probably $250, $300 an hour. He said, okay, great. He said, let me ask you a question. Would you pay a web developer $300 an hour? And the guy just snapped. He said, absolutely no. not. <laughs> that's crazy. And he said, well, you already are. And in fact, by your own admission, he's not a very good one. Mm. So that's the kind of false economy we get into is we create a very expensive solution, which is us doing all the work.
0: That's a great way thought, to, to think about it. I think that might have clicked for a lot of people in their heads right when you said that. Now, okay, now as we're building our team, you might be hiring people to do certain, I mean, The one thing, and this is what Chris Ducker always says, he wrote Virtual Freedom. I love that book. It's changed my life. He says there's no such thing as a super VA or a super assistant one who can do everything, right? So you might have one person do your calendar and your appointments and and things like that, but then you've since hired a lot more people to do other things, right?
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I have... For example, I, I mentioned the chief marketing officer. I now have my daughter who was in that role. This is free to her up to do, we call her the chief brand officer, but she also does business development, but to pursue new opportunities because running the business with platform university, five days to your best year ever books I've gotten processed and everything. Mm-hmm. That's like a full-time thing. And there's nobody looking at the new stuff. Well, now Megan is looking at all that full-time. That's cool. Then I have now a guy who I'm referred to as my chief content officer. And so his job basically is to like when I, the way I used to do blog posts is just an example is I would come up with the ideas and I would do the research and I would sit down and I would write those and I would format them and put them into WordPress and everything else. So I did the same thing with that that I did with podcasting. Mm-hmm. So I started cutting that up and saying, where could I, where's the place where I add the value? Well, it's really coming up with a concept and then fine tuning the writing. He actually does the initial draft presents it to me and he's really done a lot of analysis on my voice and has got my voice. And so now, you know, it's still my content, but you'll appreciate this metaphor. I'm the architect, not the contractor.
0: Mm, I do appreciate that metaphor.
1: I thought (laughs) so. And then, you know, it's like a bookkeeper was, is another person on my team. We've got two executive assistants. We've got somebody that manages platform university, uh, manages the whole community. These are all employees. And then we have, a small group, about 10 contractors that do most of their work for me, but not exclusively.
0: I mean, that's amazing what you've built. But I know, I mean, even, even just hearing you talk about all those different people, it's like, how do you keep everybody organized? How do you keep everybody doing the job they're supposed to be doing so you can all keep moving forward? Because you're paying these people money, that's obviously, right. and you don't want that money to go to waste. How are you able to be a good leader for these people?
1: Well, the single most important thing to do in leadership, in my view and in my experience, is to demonstrate or model the behavior you want to see in other people. So, you know, if you want people with a great work ethic, you've got to have a great work ethic. If you want to have people that are considerate of one another, that are positive, that are encouraging, you've got to be that to your team. Now, you and I have talked about this tool called Slack, and you recommended it to me. We started using that on our team. And, and by the way, here's how we did it. I can't remember, Pat. You can, you can tell me if you recommended this or not. But what we did was on a Friday morning, one Friday morning, I said, I'm about to pull my hair out with all the internal email going back and forth. I lose track of conversations. You know, there's conversations I'm part of that I don't need to be part of. And we got to do something else. And you said, try Slack. So I said to my team today, this Friday, that we're going to do this, this is now maybe a little over a year ago. We said, we're going to try Slack. Nobody can send an email to anybody else on the team. That's the rule for today. Wow. And so everything, every conversation, every communication that you need to have with another team member needs to happen inside of Slack. Now we only had a couple of channels. We didn't even know how that was going to be organized. We said, we'll just kind of let it grow organically. And I said, at the end of today, we're going to all get together and we're going to vote on whether we're going to go back to email or we're going to stay with Slack. So everybody was great about it. Everybody dug in and just got really involved with Slack, and by the end of the day, I called for the vote, and it was unanimous. Everybody said, "We hate email, we love <laughs> Slack." Now, what's happened to us? This is the amazing part of Slack and why I think this company has grown like crazy is it creates culture. Culture is the most powerful driving force in your business. The kind of culture You create will either deliver predictably positive results or predictably negative results and the thing that i love about slack is that everybody's conversation you know unless you have a private channel but it's visible to everybody else Mm -hmm. so we feed on one another as we're recording this we're right in the middle of a launch our spring enrollment for platform university and it's crazy i mean the ideas that are flying around in there, we've got a couple new team members. We, another person we hired was an Infusionsoft expert. So that's all he does is Infusionsoft. And so, I mean, he said to me, we had lunch with him last week, Megan and I. He said, I am blown away by the team. Just the ideas. Because what happens is you get these very short iterative cycles inside of Slack. Where instead of going back and forth and email and kind of the, the pop loses its fizz, mm-hmm. you know, inside of Slack, All that stuff just builds the enthusiasm, the speed with which you can do business. And, you know, we get a lot of comments from people who just say, I can't believe how fast you guys iterate, how much content you produce, and how soon you can deliver it to the market. But it's really because of Slack. That's become our secret weapon.
0: Yeah, Slack has definitely become a secret weapon internally for us too, for the same exact reasons. And I didn't even pinpoint the culture aspect of it, but we definitely, you know, it's easy to share our personalities on there. It's easy to be us. It's sort of like instant messaging on steroids with, categories and at tagging and Twitter. I mean, it's just everything great in terms of communication online is put into this one product. And If you want to check it out, you can go to slack.com slash SPI and any new teams that are formed will get $100 in credits from the team at Slack since they're sponsoring this episode. So big shout out to Slack. Michael and I both love them and I know I've turned a lot of people on to them as well. But yeah, I mean, just cutting out the email alone is, is huge and it's very easy to go back to older conversations. But I want to go back to something that you mentioned. You said that your team loves to give the rest of the team ideas. I know that in a lot of places, especially in the corporate world, you know, a lot of people, when they have ideas, they just keep them to themselves because they're afraid of what other people might say or, you know, they might get slammed for it being a not so good idea. How do you get your team so excited about sharing these things without making them feel, you know, like there might be a dumb idea in their head?
1: Well, I think this is kind of what happens when you have a culture that's driving all that. Because if you're in a culture where people are cynical, they don't feel like they're respected or regarded or their opinions aren't really valued, then people shut down. And that's a cultural thing. And again, I think it has to start with you as a leader encouraging people, and this is really important, create an environment that's safe for dissent. So that if somebody doesn't like your idea and you're the CEO of the business, you're the head of the company and they don't like your idea, you make it safe for them to voice that and push back on it. And so people do that all the time. The thing I love about Slack for our organization is it's flat in the organization. There's no apparent hierarchy. You know, I'm in there rumbling and tumbling with everybody. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure people in the back of their mind know, oh, yeah, this is his company. But they push back on me. I push back on them. But mostly it's an attitude. It's a positive encouragement. And we've got some great people who have you have you done Strength Finders? No, I haven't. Buddy, you got to do this. Okay, here's the book. Strength Finders 2.0. Okay. It comes with the test built into the book where you can find your five top strengths. So there's 34 strengths overall, and this is work that the Gallup organization has done over hundreds of thousands of people. So it's finely tuned. We used it at Thomas Nelson, but the whole goal is to build a strength-based culture. So you get people working on their strengths, not on their weaknesses, and when you do that, you produce a strong organization. And, And by the way, if you take the full test at Gallup, and I have no vested interest in this other than I'm just telling you what we do, we get every, make everybody get their full results for 80 bucks. They get all 34 results. So we find out not only what their top five are, but what their five bottom ones are or their five weaknesses are. And we try to keep people out of their weaknesses and in their strengths. One of the strengths that's fabulous, and you got to recruit people on your team that have these various strengths, that's part of your role as a kind of a symphony leader. We've particularly recruited people that have the positivity strength. Mm. So my wife is that's her number one strength, Stu McLaren. That's his number one strength. And those guys just keep it all positive and encouraging and keep the ideas flowing. And they are huge value to the team because of that.
0: I love that. So you would recommend me taking the strength finders test, but also all of my team members as well.
1: Yeah. And then, okay, so then you got to do this. You're, you're going to, you're geeky like this. So you're going to love it. <laughs> so you're going to get all their strengths, right? So you're going to have all 34 strengths. You're going to put them on an Excel spreadsheet and. Ping me after this and I'll, I'll send you ours and you can not have to create it from scratch. But so you take an Excel spreadsheet and you find out, you get a map of your whole organization, what strengths you have probably too many of. Like we have a lot of people with Achiever in our, our organization. We don't need anybody else with that particular strength. Mm-hmm. But there's some that we're missing. And so we're actively trying to recruit so that we've got the strengths that we feel that we need in our organization to move it forward and really perform. So it's a much more intelligent way to build an organization. And you've probably been in those annual review meetings with employees probably when you were one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so there's always that predictable part of the annual review that is uh, euphemistically called opportunities for improvement, Hmm. right? And the opportunities for improvement are always focused on your weaknesses. When I was at Thomas Nelson, we totally eliminated that. We said, forget that. We don't want people working on their weaknesses because for the effort that goes into working on their weaknesses, they really can't move the needle that much. And Marcus Buckingham and and Gallup have done all the research on this. Again, the science is all in there. That effort to improve your weaknesses is much better spent on improving your strengths. You move the needle far faster, further, you have a much bigger impact if you do that. So... You know, you can build your whole organization on this. You can recruit. Like, like now when we put together a job description, we say, okay, what are the particular strengths that we want to recruit in this job? And so we literally map those out in the job description. We don't reveal those to the candidates, but the final candidates, we get tested and we find out what their strengths are.
0: love that. Michael, I'm going to commit live on the air here, even though this is pre-recorded, but <laughs> when this goes out, everybody's going to hear me say this. I will take the strength test. I will post it on the blog. And everybody everybody else out there who wants to do this too, you could do this as well. I'll post it on the blog eventually at some point. And I'm going to require my whole team to do it too.
1: Fantastic. I can't wait to see the results of that. I think, I think you'll be over the moon. Oh, I'm excited.
0: I mean, I know all my team members, obviously, and I know there are strengths and weaknesses. It'll be nice to pinpoint those. And I really, really am thankful that you talked about, you know, working on what you're good at, optimizing those things that you've already have a head start with and not really necessarily focusing on the weaknesses because I think a lot of us, feel like we have to be this all around good at everything type of person you know and i've i've always called myself the pad of all trades because i've always tried to be good at everything and as a result of doing that and in, in the past i know this has it, it has held me back from when i first started out and i tried to teach myself how to become a javascript css expert by spending hours on youtube and taking you know all these different things to try and figure out how to do web coding when i could really just find somebody to do that for me who would probably do it much better and faster than me
1: yeah, absolutely. and when you work on those weaknesses too, I think it, it's really easy to make people feel bad and make them feel weak and make them feel like they're missing something and we can focus on their strengths and make them feel like my wife Gail, I said she has positivity. Well, mm-hmm. my daughters I have five daughters. it used to drive them crazy when they're teenagers because mom used to always be so positive she's always fine you know trying to find the silver <laughs> lining and now they really appreciate it. And now they say, mom, we love it when you're positive like that because, you know, we get discouraged and we need some encouragement. So it's it's great to make her feel good about having that kind of uh, strength and really using it to kind of give her unique impact on the world. And that's cool. Is
0: there also a strength finder category for artist? Because Gail is an, a great artist, I hear.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, no, but there's some other tests that reveal that. We We use a lot of tests here, but that, but... Yeah, that one's not revealed. <laughs> Finders.
0: That's really cool. Now, in terms of being a leader, again, what are some of the biggest mistakes that leaders make? I want to make sure that I don't make big mistakes, obviously, for my team as well, where they would either get upset at me or angry or just feel anxiety to, whenever I talk to them. You know, I, I want to avoid that. And obviously, you've, you know, CEO, Tom Snells, I mean, how, how what are things to avoid that we truly want to stay away from when we are building our team?
1: Well, I mean, I've alluded to this, but you know, not walking your talk is a killer one because what that does is it undermines your credibility and it makes people cynical. And, cyn- and cynicism is a poison that if it infects your culture, will destroy it. Mm. And so you've got to keep that from happening. I think, I think another key is be willing to listen. Really listen to what people are saying and, and make sure that you don't hire people that are all like you and StrengthFinders will help you do that. And don't hire people that always agree with you because that's, you know, basically everybody ends up with the same kind of blind eye and you miss stuff. And I'm trying to teach some of our team members this now that when one team member disagrees, I'm saying, you know, that's awesome. And we need to draw that out, you know, become fascinated by why they're disagreeing with this direction Mm -hmm. to be able to pull it out and find out what they're seeing that we're missing. Now, that doesn't mean that you always have to go in the direction of what that person sees, you know, but they need to be heard out. And I like to distinguish in an organization between agreement and alignment. And so what you're after is not agreement, but you're after alignment. And the difference is this agreement is when everybody says yes, but you know, they don't really support it. Hmm. Alignment is when, when they're willing to support it, even though they may not agree with it. It's powerful. So to be able to say, to have a, a vigorous discussion about, maybe it's a change in dis- uh, strategic direction, you know, we're not talking about some kind of moral thing here, but so, like a change in strategic direction or implementation of, you know, software package or whatever. And when people feel heard, even though the decision may not go in their favor or go in the direction they'd like to see it go, they can generally support it. And what I do in those, after those vigorous debates, um, I will call for the question. I'll just say, okay, I've heard what you guys are going to say, and maybe I'll go away for a couple of days and consider it, and come back and say, "Look, I heard everything that was said, including Bob's objection to this, and here's why I think you objected to it. Considered all that, but here's the direction I think we should go." And I to I want to know, and I ask each person, "Can you align with this direction?"
0: I love that. I love that. And I enough. wait, and I
1: wait till everybody can align. And you know, I'm used to have a guy on my team, uh, Thomas Nelson Jim, who he might say, "Well, I don't agree with it, but I'm totally on board. I'm aligned with it." Now, what happens then is when they walk out of that meeting room. And they meet with their direct reports. You don't have to wonder about whether your team's going to roll their eyes when they talk to other people about it, or whether they're going to be trying to sabotage you behind their back, because they've already agreed that they're going to stand together and they're going to be aligned on it. This is huge. Organizational alignment is huge because when you don't have it, you create a lot of sideways energy mm-hmm. and a lot of factions and political stuff that just doesn't need to be there and and gets in the way.
0: I love that, Michael. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What. It- how do you guys celebrate your wins? I mean, I, th- I know this is important because we do this in my team too, but when, when once we finish a project or a launch or something, you know, we celebrate and, and we do a number of th- different things to do that. How do, how, does, how do you and your team do that?
1: Well, if it was left to me, we would never celebrate wins. I am terrible at this. The only thing I can figure out is that my number one strength is achievement. So when I achieve something, when I've checked the box off, I'm looking for the next box to check. Hmm. You know, that's already done. So, this is a case where, again, I had to recruit people that were better at celebrating. And my daughter is a great example. She's fantastic at this. So, we just did this uh, big launch this last winter of five d- days to your best year ever. It was our second year. We ended up putting 7,000 people into that program, more than doubled, almost tripled wow. our results from the previous year. And so, what we decided we were going to do is we were going to take our team and take our five top affiliates. And we went to a place in East Tennessee called Blackberry uh, Farm. And it's a five-star resort. Unbelievable, amazing experience. Cost us an arm and a leg. But it was totally worth it.
0: I think it's I saw th- pictures of that on Instagram, actually.
1: Did you? Yeah, It's beautiful. So, so we had some people that, that you know that were affiliates for us. And, and we just had the most amazing time. And, and there was no agenda. It wasn't a mastermind. Uh, we weren't trying to get information from people. We just wanted to celebrate and thank these people. And so we've got a lot of those things that that we're doing now. Whenever we have a cel- whenever we have a big win together as the team, that we celebrate, and it includes letting people participate financially um, in the results, as well as taking time on our calendars to you know have a special dinner or go someplace special. We got a big one planned when we hit um, hit this goal for this Platform University mm-hmm. uh, spring enrollment. So we're doing better. That's exciting. We wouldn't.
0: But celebration is important. So important. Okay cuz when you said I I wouldn't do that I was like, "Whoa, really?" Oh, but it's just you personally wouldn't figure out what to do.
1: No, I I hugely value it because I know that if you don't celebrate things, um it, it's like when you celebrate those things, you reinforce them in the organization's nervous system. People right. feel acknowledged, they feel like their con- contributions were were meaningful. You know the the truth is and and you know this from your time in the corporate world and just working in your own organization. Uh, compensation is like the third thing on the list of priorities for why people work. Number one, I mean, you can look at just about any test you want to go out there or or survey you want to look at. Number one is people want to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. They want to be noticed. And so that's why celebration is so important because you know, in, in any good win people are doing things that are beyond their job description, beyond what's really expected. They're pushing beyond that. And if you don't acknowledge that you don't get more of it. What you acknowledge and celebrate, you're going to get more of. Now, I know all that, which is why I hire hire people that are good at it. I'm just not very good at it myself. I see.
0: (laughs) So you said the three, top three things, do you know? You said acknowledgement, just so we could fill in the gap. Number three is compensation. Number two would be?
1: I don't remember. Okay. Maybe like status or something.
0: Yeah. Because everybody's so like, oh, this, you know, like.
1: Oh, I don't. I think it's autonomy. Ah,
0: okay.
1: You know, the ability to work Without constantly being supervised and harassed.
0: Yes, that I think that would be it. I I was going to go to title because that was a huge deal when I was in the architecture world. It was just what our title was. People would would rather have a higher title than often higher pay sometimes.
1: I know I saw that in the corporate world too. It doesn't mean much to my team. They're like, leave me alone and give me some money (laughs) (laughs) and acknowledge me. Michael this
0: has been an amazing conversation i mean very helpful for me personally and i know a lot of the other listeners out there so just thank you so much for your time we've talked about a lot of things obviously the show notes will go to where they normally are i'll mention that link after after we get off the call but is there anything you know any other final tips in terms of team building that maybe we missed or um and obviously if there's something going on i mean you have a launch coming up i mean anything that you want to shout out and, and give a, a you know a push for let me know
1: no yeah i really don't i i just think you know just kind of as a final thought is i really believe that everyone can be an effective leader. You know, your leadership may look way different from mine and ours may look way different from somebody else's. But once you tap into your unique ability and the contribution that you can make on the world, just use that. But but being a leader is something that can be learned. And the most important thing is to have the heart for it and have the intention for it and just learn it, study it. I'm constantly improving. I'm constantly blowing it. And I'm just, I just want to be a better leader because I want a more effective team because I want a bigger impact.
0: Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for your honesty and, and just everything you've done for us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Pat. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael Hyatt from michaelhyatt.com. You know, it just seems like everything he says is a tweetable, right? Like everything is a quote card that is just something worth being viral on Twitter. It's so, I mean, he's just so so wise He has a lot of experience and I'm so happy to have welcomed him and featured him here in this episode for you and also for me and I'm gonna be sharing this with my team as well. All of the links and the resources mentioned in this particular episode can be found at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 163. And I also wanna thank today's sponsor, which is Slack. Slack, we talked about in the episode already, but it is a game changer for communication within your team. It cuts out all the email. It brings together your work communications into one place. It makes them instantly searchable and available on any device. And their mission, Slack's mission, is to make people's working lives simpler, more pleasant, and more productive. And it will do that. Over 500,000 people and more than 60,000 teams use Slack every single day. My team uses it, Michael's team uses it. I've talked about Slack several times in the past. And check this out, Slack is free to use as long as you want with as many users as you want. They have a lot of paid plans with additional features and more powerful functionality, but it is free to use. However, anyone who visits this URL, slack.com slash SPI, you'll get $100 in credit when you choose to upgrade to any paid plan. So go ahead and check it out right now. Let them know slack.com slash SPI. That's how you let them know that you came from this episode. Again, slack.com slash SPI. You will love it. Slack.com slash SPI. Guys, I've, I've really been enjoying this podcast and I will continue to do it in the future for you. I know a lot of you have taken the information that I've shared here, the interviews that we've done uh, with other experts and other people and and have actually taken action with it. And I just love you for that. I, I'm so thankful that I have an audience who uh, is actually not just learning, but learning and putting things into place to make change in their lives and the lives of others too. I mean, we're all here to serve other people, I hope. Um, but I know a lot of you also need a little bit more help. Uh, I've been getting messages left and right from people who have been asking for more and, and deeper information about certain things. So what I've done is that I've actually put together a number of courses, and there's more courses coming in the future, thanks to your recommendations. If you go to smartpassiveincome.com courses, you'll see a list of the courses that are currently available there or that you can sign up for the waitlist for. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com courses. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening into this episode. I appreciate it, and I look forward to serving you in next week's episode. And until then, thank you so much. Keep crushing it, and I will see you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.